Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. I forgot what the name was. Hello, good. It's starting off well. Um, be fine. <laughs> it's fine. So I have my special guest back with me today. Like, this is a little risky because at the time of this recording, the other episode you recorded with me has not gone out yet. So I don't know if there was like a mutiny afterwards. You know, might have a you as a guest. sudden increase in <laughs> followers too. I could have a yeah, see. We're acting on faith that you like Christian coming on. I mean, I like having him on, so I'm assuming you will too. Anyway, uh, last time we talked about what to do if your spouse hates homesteading or you have a spouse who's not into homesteading like you. And this time I want to talk about a little different angle of our life. And this was inspired by a question that came in, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago when I did my Instagram Q&A and somebody asked, how we got into ranching and how we started our beef herd. Because as some of you know, we don't come from ranching backgrounds. Probably heard us talk about that before. And in the world of agriculture, raising cattle, et cetera, um, it's kind of hard to get into it if you're first generation. If you're not born into it. If you're not born into it. You either inherit it or you're born into it or you marry into it. And we're none of those things. And so we've had to start from scratch, kind of like we do with everything in our life. Yeah. Like that's par for the course. So yeah. how do we do that? Or you could say, you know, for people who just go to work in it, you can be, mm, yeah. you can go to work as a cowboy or a ranch hand or something like that. Fairly easy. That's not impossible to get into. But uh, from an ownership standpoint, that is very difficult to get into unless it was inherited. Yeah. So, so oh, I'm moving my mic. Yeah. So really, I mean, I might even say uh, this was, I would take this back as far as when we were dating. What do you think? I'm here. I'm listening. Yeah, are you? <laughs> You're totally unprepared for today. <laughs> That's because we put sorry, weights on the bottom okay, so it doesn't fall over. I don't know if I'm making it. It's very professional. I'm sorry, you guys. You're going to be, you're, you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's been a day. Like, there's a lot happening throughout here. Notice that none of these problems I had. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how this comes about in okay. ratings. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, this really goes back for at least, you know, for me, it probably goes back to when I was like five years old. I've always been fascinated with it. I grew up in the city, grew up in town, you know, didn't have horses, didn't have any Western lifestyle or Western heritage or anything. Um, so it goes back that far with me. And I would say that's probably fair to say with you. Yeah. I mean, three years old, I was obsessed with horses, cowboys, wanted land. So it's kind of crazy we found each other. Divine. Yeah. I think we said on our last episode, like our first date, I think we were like at Applebee's or whatever. And we were talking about, he was like, I want to own cows someday. I want to own cows someday. And this is history. And here we are. Here we are. But even then I remember thinking, as we were talking about it, I was in college. He was working as an electrician. I'm like, kind of like in the back of my mind going, cool, but yeah, right. Because it's a big, it's a big hurdle. Yeah. And I think there, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I would say there's a period there where we went through with a mindset where, where our mindset had to grow and had to shift, you know, because there was probably a while, maybe not for you, but at least for me, when I was an electrician, uh, I was maybe stuck in somewhat of a rut and thinking, this is just how my life is going to be. I'm, you know, there's a difference between the people who actually achieve these great, big, huge goals and the people who just go to work at a nine to five every day. And I was still really in that nine to five mindset. I, I hadn't learned how to get out of that yet, but I still wanted it, but I don't think for a while we were working on it necessarily. No, we weren't working on it. 
Yeah. Because we didn't believe it was possible. Well, we didn't believe in ourselves. We didn't believe it was possible. You know, the world likes to convince you of what things are possible and what things are not possible. And in my mind, it, you know, like I say, it had convinced me that, hey, I'm going to be an electrician. And I like being an electrician. I like the trades. I like construction work. So this is cool where I am. So yeah. I think, so that was like our first step is we had to kind of be willing to think outside of the box. Well, that's really the mantra of our whole life. Yeah. But we were not out of the box thinkers initially, especially when we got first, we first got married. And so it was that process of, you know, what I always would tell to my, tell myself subconsciously was like, well, people like me don't do things like that. Uh, and I, I would say that again, subconsciously, like not out loud, but when it came to uh, entrepreneurship or starting a business or, doing wild and crazy things or, you know, cattle, it was always like, well, I want that, but that's kind of out of the realm of what people like me do, people from my background do. And so it was breaking through that belief, I think was the first step. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah. So how did that happen for you? Talk into the mic. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you think it's picking it up? I don't, I don't want to be like super loud and you're super well, I know. That is very annoying. When podcast. Yeah. So why did that, what was the first step for you? And before I tell everybody, I, I leave them on a cliffhanger for why I got to this point. But like, what, what was it for you? What, what was that first like spark of interest that said, wait a minute, this might be possible. I don't know if it started with the cattle. I think it started more with our life in general. I think it was, uh, it started with homesteading for me because homesteading, I had no idea that this was happening at the time, but homesteading broke me out of my in the rut rule following try to be normal ways and for some reason and i honestly do think whatever got me into homesteading that caused me to take that first step i still don't really fully understand it was just meant to be it was divine inspiration that we were kind of pulled out of our conventional everything to get over it to this weird unconventional lifestyle but homesteading was the first step because i gave myself permission uh, to do things differently and then that progressed into being different about where we live, where, what we eat, how we raise our kids, how we fuel our bodies, how we take care of our bodies when we're sick, how I clean my house. And then it started to feel not so crazy that, I don't know, why not start a business and work for ourselves? I don't know, why not start our own cattle? If we could do weird things over in that realm, why not do crazy things over in this realm? So just kind of like bet each other. Yeah, I think it just compounded over time because yeah. we always had... The willingness to be a little bit different, you know, even when we got married, we, we yeah. laid down some ground rules on how we, how we wanted things to be and where we wanted to live and what, what things we would settle for and what things we wouldn't settle for. Yeah. So I would agree. It definitely was a compound effect. It didn't happen overnight, but I think for me, a lot of it was realizing or getting to the point where I, I acknowledged that I could take a risk on myself because up to that point, you know, I was basically living this life that I felt like, you know, not that not it was handed to me from the world, but I w it was living a life through a set of belief systems that had been handed me handed to me through the world versus, you know, what if I took a risk? Uh, what if I what if I took a chance on what I can do? And then I tried to live that out in some sort of a deliberate way, which I feel like for some things, you know, that was a deliberate we we wanted to own a place, you know, that didn't have any HOAs or didn't have any covenants or, you know, wasn't subdivided like we wanted a raw piece of ground that had never been touched essentially before you know from you know hadn't been chopped up and we found that but yeah. we you know so i think it was still a compounding effect of okay what can we do yeah although you know i think we, we probably had a lot of people say why do you want to go into ranching because that seems like a good place to lose money <laughs> 
Well, I remember, <laughs> I remember an instructor in college and he didn't, I mean, at that point I, he didn't know I was ever going to own cattle or I wanted to own cattle. He was just saying in a general sense, he's like, no one, it, no one starts ranching unless they are, mar- they marry into it or they're born into it, period. And I remember when he said that, I kind of believed it for a while. Like it was like, he was pronouncing this this thing over the this lifestyle that I was interested in. I'm like, well, okay, he's obviously smarter than me. So that's got to be true. Um, so I think it's interesting too, because I had always heard that people didn't ranch. You know, the reason people ranched was for the lifestyle. It was not because they wanted to make money. It was not because, you know, this was a really good place to put money or this was a really, you know, this was a great, a great investment. Now, I think it's interesting that where we are today versus where we were five or six years ago when we started down that, because even then, I think from a business standpoint, we were looking at it of, okay, we have some money and we can invest in the cattle. And we're also interested in furthering our lifestyle. But I would say in the last maybe year, at least probably now I know for me and you for also is that now we've had, you know, it's like this compounding effect has hit us again to where we're now challenging those exist, those, those predetermined beliefs that we had before of saying, well, wait a minute, do, is ranching really only, is really, is a really good way to lose money or can you make money in ranching? Yeah, we have that conversation a lot. Which I would say that's what we're doing now. That's our conversation now is less about lifestyle and more about what are the traditional ways that ranching has always been done versus how could we think outside the box? And we did that a little mm-hmm. bit to begin with, because yeah. that was kind of how we started. But, you know, we, so, I mean, I always encourage people to try to think outside the box and not just, you know, just take off with this set of beliefs that the world is like, here, take this. This is how things are. So that, I mean, I think that's good around the mindset piece. Cause that was a big part of it. That, that was the first domino. The next domino, I think, in my opinion, is we started on a super, and this was like pre-ranching. It was more the homestead. For us, it was homesteading and then got into the ranching. But the homesteading was our first little shaky step because we'd never owned a cow, any cows. So we bought a cow for us on the homestead. Yeah, like in the very beginning. The very, very beginning, right? And that felt scary. I remember I felt like, am I like, am I able to own a cow? <laughs> am I, can I do this? And it was, it didn't seem scary. He didn't, it didn't seem scary. I remember, remember like <laughs> I had it built up in my mind that like a milk cow or even just a beef cattle, a beef cattle. <laughs> I know what I'm talking cow about. Cow is singular. <laughs> beef cow. Well, this is the thing. Here's the deal. Like, I know what you're saying because I wasn't scared initially on that one cow because to me, that one cow didn't classify as a business. You know, now we just wanted this milk cow. And then we kind of branched out from there of, okay, if we have a milk cow, what if that cow gives us a steer or gives us a bull who we turn into a steer and then we can eat, you know? So we kind of branched out from there. But I looked at that more from the standpoint of this is not a business adventure. This is not something that we're going to make money on. I only saw it as this is only going to cost us money. This is going to be more money to, you know, it's going to be cheaper for me to go to the store and buy milk, or it's going to be cheaper for me to go to the store and buy a hamburger than it is to try to get it this way. So for me, it really was the the pivot was when we bought our first chunk of calves, okay. because now I guess, I don't know, maybe the scariness is when it set in because to me, keeping one cow alive that you know, the, the, the worst thing that could happen is if this cow dies and I no longer have any milk. Right. Yeah. But now I'm looking at it from a business standpoint of, Oh, I just bought 50 calves and now you got to somehow keep these calves alive. And we bought all heifers. 
So, and they were calves. They'd just been weaned. So, you know, I've got, I've got at least a year that I've got to raise these guys. Well, maybe six or eight months. I've got to raise these guys before I can try to breed them, mm-hmm. you know? So to me now, all of a sudden everything changed because now it was like, not this conversation of where I get my meat and my milk from. It turned into more of a business conversation of, I didn't, I'm not a rancher. I didn't come from a ranching background. I don't know. You know, I know enough about how to keep maybe one or two cows alive, but I don't know anything about breeding. I don't know anything about genetics. I don't know anything about health. I don't know anything about diseases. I don't know anything about vaccinations. I don't know. You know, it was like the whole, it's like this floodgate opened up on me of all of these things to worry about. No, I can see that. I think though, for me, just in the way I think it gave me a, not that owning one cow or two cows it, in your backyard is the same as owning 50, but it just gave me a little more confidence. Like, yeah, it's like, it was up. like a stepping stone for us. And especially when we raised our first steer, we were just butchering it for ourselves, obviously. But it was like, oh, this is good. Like we could do this. Or what if we could offer this to someone else? It was kind of just getting those wheels for turning. Sure. It took a while though to get to that, to get to the point where we were ready to invest in like a real herd or, or the beginning of our real herd. Yeah. yeah. I think you and I have always had um, the ability to, kind of jump in with both feet and not necessarily know what we're jumping into. (laughs) So, I mean, I know that's definitely what happened with cattle where, you know, fortunately for us, we had a very good mentor. So we leased ground uh, where we were able to run these cows. And then ultimately we were able to run our heifer calves with his heifer calves. And so it wasn't like we were totally 100% on our own flying blind, had no clue. You know, we had, and that was really one of the reasons we decided to do it the way we did. It was because we didn't know, we didn't have the knowledge. And so we wanted to be able to capitalize on somebody else's knowledge and experience. And, you know, they had a family, a long history of family ranch and been doing it for a long time. And so we're like, okay, we could start learning this way while still making an investment, obviously. But, you know, I think that was a big, I think that was a big thing. It was still, we didn't know what we were in for yeah. until you're in the middle of it and going but I think that's a good bit of advice for anyone listening. Um, if you can get a local mentor, that is huge. I mean, that was huge, pivotal for us. And just to give you a little bit of background so you can kind of visualize, because I don't think we really explained this at the beginning. We have our homestead here in Wyoming um, where we have our milk cows and our garden. It's all the stuff you see on the internet. But then we don't have enough land that we own right now to run our commercial herd for Genuine Beef. So our beef company is called Genuine Beef Company. Those don't live on our homestead with us, but they live just a few miles down the road um, at our friends and neighbors where we lease this ground. And it's a considerable amount of ground, like Christian said, it's been in his family for generations. Um, and we are able to, to lease from him and run with him. And that has been really good as we get, as we've gotten started. Yeah. yeah. I think it was crucial because we had the conversation early on about, you know, okay, what if we continue to invest in ourselves? What if we continue to invest in businesses and we're able to get to the point where we buy our first chunk of ground that then we can have our own cattle on that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, now we have to, now we have to learn how to own our own ground and have that big a chunk of ground. And we've got to learn how to have raised cows all by ourselves all at the same time. Where I'm like, if we could do this first, if we could lease ground from somebody else and capitalize on their knowledge and learn how to, you know, breed cows and how to calve cows and how to, you know, just do all the 957 different steps there are into making sure that this is successful. Now I feel like we're much more prepared for the day when we, we do buy our own place and we bring all our cows home and now we get to manage them, you know, 100% the way we want to manage them. Yeah, for sure. And that is our long-term goal is... We want our own 
pastures to run a large herd on, whether it's something that we buy near our house and we stay living in our same homestead, or we, I don't think we'll move out of this community for quite some time, but in our community, same community, but we actually move residences. We don't know, but that's definitely, I think our biggest goal right now is to be, is to have that land we can steward ourselves. Um, I think, I think people at this point are going to be curious because I mean, the biggest barrier for most folks getting into ranching is the startup cost. So how did we start, how did we find those funds to buy that first group of 50 heifers? Well, that was from our other businesses. So it didn't just, and there's other ways to do it. Um, You know, you can borrow money to run cows. We are friends with people who don't own their own ground, who lease all their ground, just like we do. And they finance the ownership of their cattle. It's kind of, jokingly said in the ranching industry that you you have to own something you either have to own the ground or you got to own the cows you can't finance both of those and so you know if you're sitting in a position where you're going man i'm just never gonna you know i'm never gonna win the lottery and i don't have any businesses that i built but i really want to start out maybe you can't start out with 50 calves but maybe you can do something like we did find somebody you can run cows with and you go and finance 10 cows and you know you could start out small that way uh we we just because of kind of our mindset is we've had the mindsets really since we got married that we didn't want to go into debt uh, for anything. Our mindset on that has shifted a little bit from the, you know, strict Dave Ramsey rule. You know, I am, I am all about that rule from a personal uh, home finance standpoint. We, we never went into debt for anything except for our, our house and our land that we have from a business aspect. That's an entirely different conversation, which we're not going to get into today, but that is a different conversation. And so if you're going to run cows, commercially for business, uh, I, I'm totally fine with you going into debt to buy those cows and to run those cows as long as you've got a really solid business plan. And so if you have never done that before, then, you know, you would definitely want to have that, that mentor. You want to have that. And you would not just want to, you wouldn't want to have a mentoring from just here's how you raise cows. You would also want to have a mentor who has also financed cows and understands what that banking game looks like and that cattle ownership looks like. You would want to be mentored from both sides there. We decided from the beginning because maybe we didn't believe in ourselves enough or we weren't ready to take on that much of a risk or something. I don't know that we just said, well, we're not going to do this until we have the cash uh, to make it happen. But, and then, you know, we had several conversations about what stage of the game do we buy into this at? Mm -hmm. Because we could have bought in at different levels. We chose to buy in with buying uh, freshly weaned calves. And, you know, we could have bought um, yearlings, we, we could have bought yearling heifers. We could have brought bred cows or, you know, we could have even maybe tried to save some money and bought open cows, but they were already uh, old enough and sexually mature enough that they could have been bred right away. So we could have done that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we always had the dream of processing our own meat. Yeah. We could have just bought in at the level of uh, buying steers, you know, and, and so I think why did we choose to buy what we did? Well, I know it's because I wanted to learn the whole game. I didn't want to just know one piece of it. The way my brain works is I want to know everything I can about how something works. And so my mind was like, if we buy calves and we're bought heifers, so they were strictly breeding stock or for breeding stock. But I, I was like, this is the begin. This is as close to the beginning of that animal's life that I can realistically purchase them at. You can't buy a cow or a calf that is just calved. You know, so we bought them right after they had been weaned 
And so now we had to go through this whole weaning program of how do we keep these guys healthy? How do we keep them from getting sick? How do we keep them through, you know, missing their moms, so to speak, because they've just been weaned and realistically, they're never going to see their moms again, you know, so all the way up to breeding them, to uh, helping them have their first calf, to branding, to records management, to vaccinations, you know, I mean, there was just a tremendous amount, but it was slow enough. And, you know, that's probably the disadvantage that I look back on it now and go for the pipeline that we have built out over the last five years of what we have in place now. It took five years for us to build that to where now we own all of our own mother cows, but we own all of our own replacement heifers and we own all of the steers that we're having processed for Genuine Beef Company. That took a tremendous amount of time, five years to build out. Which I think, and it's probably really good to explain here. So we had, we have other businesses, right, that yeah. initially produced the extra little nest egg of income that we were able to use to invest in those calves. And I think, I remember we had that conversation, like we have this little bit of money. Um, do we go put it in the stock market? Do we go invest it here? And then we decided to put it into the cows. Um, and then I think our saving grace here, and this might not be everyone's situation. This is why this, this can be done a lot of different ways. We're not, our way is not the only way, obviously. Uh, but our other businesses were still running in the background through that five-year process when we finally got to the point we are now. And that for was sure. really important for um, our situation. Yeah. Not necessarily everyone's, but that was crucial. And the thing about it is, is ranching is not necessarily a full-time job. You know, it might be a full-time job if you're the owner of the ranch and you've got multiple different operations or things that are taking place on it. Uh, but from the from the standpoint that we were running at it, it wasn't a full-time job. I mean, realistically, we were looking at a couple hours a day you know, yeah. worth of work. And then the rest of the time we were able to focus on our other businesses and make sure that the bread and butter, if you will, was um, still flowing. Yeah. But I would say, you know, the mindset thing is here. It's still key because I guarantee at least my mindset when we got into this in the beginning, even though I had the mindset of, I want to learn everything about this. I still basically looked at this as we can do this because we have these other businesses. And I wasn't, and it comes back to that lifestyle thing. It's like, okay, I'm willing to do this. Um, I'm willing to make this expense. I'm willing to spend this money and risk this loss for the lifestyle because I wanted to be able to say, hey, I wanted to be a rancher. I wanted to learn about cattle. I wanted to do all of those things. And I had to pay. You got to pay dearly to learn that stuff. It doesn't just come free. But I want to encourage you guys to understand that that is not necessarily even the proper way to think about it because. That's the traditional, here's the world's way of thinking. It wasn't until, you know, a couple of years later, after we had made these in, initial investments and said, wait a minute, we actually could make money at this. We, If we drill into this and start treating this business of ranching like we're treating our bread and butter businesses, we can operate this in such a way that we'll make money and not just do this for the lifestyle. And so I want that to be, because a lot of times, you know, a lot of times people are doing things for the lifestyle and not doing them for, you know, the investment, so to speak. Cause if, you know, if you came to me tomorrow and says, Hey, I got a hundred thousand dollars laying around, what should I invest it in? I'm probably not going to tell you ranching unless you have the mindset that says, I'm going to go in here with a fresh perspective and the, the willingness to kind of blow up the way things are done from a traditional level. If you can do that, then you can go into this business and probably make money. But otherwise, if you don't have that mindset, I would take your hundred grand and go put it in a 401k or go, you know, invest in some other business that you probably got a lot bigger chance of making a return on. Yeah. Luckily for us, that transition came, it did come 
you know, I don't I don't think it was forced on us. It wasn't like we got into a pickle where we're like, man, we got to figure out how to make this work. Yeah. But I think it reached the point where we're like, this takes a lot of time and it's hard work and the lifestyle is awesome and we love it, but it, it's a lot of work. And it is the, is this trade-off really worth it? You know, at least I went through that conversation yeah. with myself of, you know, of course I love calving and, you know, it's March and it's five degrees outside and, all of a sudden we've got a blizzard and that's when the cows decide, you know what, this is a perfect weather for having a calf. We're going to squirt him out in the middle of a snowdrift and see how well he does. Now, granted, they're born with a jacket, but it's still pretty hard on them. And so you find yourself out there for 24 hours a day, pulling calves out of a snowdrift and bringing them home, putting them in the mudroom. Yeah. Uh, you know, even though I like that, there's still this conversation in the back of my mind of I've got to be able to connect. Why am I doing this with my future plans? Am I just doing this? Because that's where people get short-sighted. Now they enter into this conversation of this is only for the lifestyle. Well, I might as well stay as an electrician and not even ventured out on anything else if I wasn't willing to grow. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to the next part of the story, which is, you know, we like to do things different. We always, just every part of our life. And so we were, I think it was after we bought the calves. We, I remember driving to town one day because initially, I believe, maybe I'm telling this incorrectly. But I think when we first bought those calves, our plan was just to kind of stay in the same track as all the other, the typical cattle production. No. You wanted to do the, the direct-to-consumer model right away? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you did? Yeah. Did we have yeah. that conversation? I can't remember that conversation. I remember no, the conversation. Absolutely. Did it happen before we bought the calves or after? No, it was before. Okay. Because we had that conversation with the landowner and said, okay. so right. just so you guys understand, the, the traditional way that ranching is accomplished is what's called a cow-calf operation. So ranchers own what we call their mother cows. And they own maybe some bulls to breed those cows with, or they might artificially inseminate them. But then that is essentially their breeding stock. And those cows, those mother cows are like their, you know, their asset that they always retain. Then those cows have calves, which become a retail product, essentially. That's what they're going to sell. So they, their cows calve, they raise them until they're six or seven months old when they're, when they're, ready to be weaned, essentially. Some ranchers will wean them themselves. They might put 45 days on them and wean them themselves, or they might just sell them right off right off the cow. They get on a truck and they're gone. That way they don't even have to deal with it. And so that's a traditional cow-calf operation. So the rancher never sees that calf again. Once he's weaned, he's gone. And somebody else now had, takes the responsibility of raising that calf, you know, turning him into, you know, raising him up for meat or raising him up for breeding stock for somebody else. Um, and then, you know, ranchers a lot of times will hold back their heifer calves for replacement cows. You know, every year, some of your cows are getting older. Uh, those cows have to be replaced. Sometimes they come back instead of being bred, they're open. So they're going to go to town. And so they roll in these replacement heifers, they're called instead. That's kind of the traditional model. But we looked at it. I looked at it initially and said, I want to own, I want to retain ownership of that animal all the way because I saw it as, you know, if anybody who figures out you, if you figure out a way to make money in this world, then all of a sudden you're going to be surrounded by people who want to become middlemen in that involvement. You know, they they want to stick their hands in that pot somehow. And so my uneducated mind at that time, because this was literally just my thought process, I did not understand how the industry worked good enough to really even be able to put together a good argument of this. But my mind was like, there's 45 middlemen involved in this. 
And so if we just retain ownership of these cows all the way to what's called the rail, essentially we wanted to be able to raise those cows, raise those steers, have those steers processed and sell that steer meat ourselves. You know, cut all those middlemen out. That my initial dream, if you want to say, was that was my plan. That was what I wanted to do. I didn't have any data. I didn't have the solid business plan behind on why it would work or even if it, if it would work. That was just what I wanted. Yeah. Which kind of goes against the stream of a lot of your traditional cow-calf operations because ranches are set up. Most of you, if they're a cow-calf operation, they're set up not to retain that ownership. They're set up on a process where they have to sell those calves every year. And, you know, most think of it this way, guys. Most ranchers only get paid once or twice a year when they sell their calves. Maybe they're selling hay. Maybe they're selling some bread heifers. So they could potentially get a couple of smaller paychecks in there. But their main paycheck comes when they sell those calves. And so for them to just go, hey, I'm going to change my business plan and I'm going to retain ownership of everything. Now they go from getting paid once a year to be like, well, now I don't get paid for another three years while I build out this pipeline and I finish some of my own steers. And that's just not an option. Most businesses, you can't go, well, I'm, no, I'm not going to get paid for two years. I can't, you can't live that way. So I wanted our business model to be like, if we're going to do this and we're going to build this pipeline out, I don't want to sell my calves. I want to retain ownership, which is why I was saying a little bit ago, maybe I was ahead of the game, but that's why it took five years. Because yeah. we had to raise those calves. We had to turn those calves into cows. We had to breed those cows. We had to calve those cows before we even started getting anything that we could raise for meat, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And it, I mean, there's nothing wrong just because we have cow calf yeah, there's operators absolutely. in the audience and I've had them on the podcast. There's nothing wrong with that model. There's a lot of different ways to do this. Yeah, there's absolutely no reason why you can't do it. A lot just, of very successful ranches yeah. just do that. They yeah. don't retain ownership of everything. We just like to do things. And there's other ranches out there who don't do cow-calf operations. They do somewhere in the middle. They bring, they buy those calves who are just freshly weaned and they run them through a backgrounding program. They try to put them up, put weight on them. And then they turn around and sell them to somebody else who's going to finish them and then have them processed at some meat packing yeah. plant. So there's obviously different ways. This was just my initial you know, call it burning desire, if you will, of I wanted to be able to just keep everything. I didn't want to sell. I wanted to keep it all and retain it all the way to the rail and then market it and sell it all on my own. And I think that fits. We're very DIY personalities. It just, it just is kind of our personality. It's like, I mean, it's, it's the same to a fault, really, a fault, because there's systems in this world. There's, there's things that this world has to offer that make things easier that 99% of the time I want to opt out of. And we don't do anything <laughs> easy because we're, there's, Strange, strange. Yeah. Um, so there we were. We decided we we're going to go direct to consumer, which is not normal. We live in a ranching community. We have, I mean, we're surrounded by ranches. All our friends are ranchers. That is not what they do. So there was a lot of like raised eyebrows, like these kids are first generation. They don't come from a family, and they're doing things backwards. So there was yeah. that was kind of fun to have those conversations initially. Yeah. Um, and so we got to the point we had these steers, our first set of steers that you're getting ready to take to the processor. And then our, our fluffy, wonderful dreams got real, real fast. And I think that period of trying to figure out the logistics, I mean, if raising the steer to that point felt super easy compared to what came next. Don't you agree? Yeah. It was brutal. Yeah. It was brutal. The ranching side is easy because ranching a lot of, I mean, even though ranching is a business, I'm sorry, there's a lot of ranchers out there who don't understand the business aspect of it. And, you know, that's, so sometimes it's easy just to be like, hey, I'm going to sell this stuff and the way they go and I don't have to worry about it. Where we were faced with kind of a nightmare in the kind beginning. Nightmare. Our first set of steers, actually, we processed without a problem. 
it was our second set that we well, ran into an issue because yeah. so you know this was what 2019 or so when we had our first set of steers processed in 2020 we were going to have our second set of steers processed and the processing plant because we ship state or because we ship all around the country all of our beef has to be processed in a usda inspected facility so i can't take it down to uncle bob's down the street who cuts up your deer after you get done hunting i can't take it to him because then i can't sell it so you know if you've ever had a deer process or if you've ever had anything what's called an, a custom exempt plant done it comes out in a package that says not for sale or do not sell sell or something like that because it has not been usda inspected so we knew initially we're like hey i want to sell this not only around wyoming but i want to sell it outside of the state and in order to cross state lines with it we had to have it done in a usda inspected plant and getting on the books uh when 2019 and even prior to that in 2018 was when we got on the books for 2019 uh was very difficult to do because a, a lot of these plants are booked out multiple years in advance and so we were on the books in 2020. And then 2020 happened. Well, yeah. 2020 happened, which was bad yeah. enough. But the problem that we had is the plant that we were on the books for caught on fire and burned to the ground. And so now we're like, great. And we knew about it. And it, and it happened maybe six or eight months. I don't remember exactly what it was. It doesn't really matter. But, it you know, it, it happened quite a while. And so there was some there was some question about whether they'd be able to get rebuilt and open back up. You know, and then it kind of came down to the end where they're like, this is not going to happen. You guys are going to have to find somewhere else to go. Well, now, by the time I started calling around to several other USDA plants, like it was it was multiple years before we could even get on the books with somebody else. You know, we were talking two or three years that they were booked out, and this was in 2020. Yeah, and so uh, that turned into be a real nightmare. That was, that, was nightmare. A, that was a real problem because we we had no other option. We could not take them to if we could not take them have them processed anywhere else. They had to be done in a USDA facility. Otherwise, I couldn't sell the meat. So we we literally were faced with the option of we may just have to sell these steers in a traditional way, just take them to the sale barn and sell them and slept and somebody else can. F- can finish finishing them, so to speak, and then have them processed. So what kept us going through that? Uh, I think the why, although there were several times I was like, why are we doing this? And I was also like, now I understand why everyone else just sells their calves and they're done with it and they get a paycheck. I remember saying that a few times, but I still didn't want to quit. No, and realistically, that was like, you know, like step number one of our nightmare. That was step number one of the nightmare. Yeah. Because yeah. we were, we were venturing into something that we had not ever done before. And we were also venturing into something that the ranch that we were partners with had also not ever done before. And so there was no mentorship. There wasn't anybody we could be like, Hey, what does it take to get on the books for a USDA processor? What does it take to have animals processed in a USDA? I mean, even in the beginning, we didn't even know that you had to have animals processed in a USDA facility. When we bought our calves in order to sell across state lines, we might not even know that. So my point, my point here is we transitioned from this, hey, I'll show you how to raise these calves. I'll show you how to breed them. I'll show you how to vaccinate them. I'll show you how to keep them healthy. I'll show you how to, you know, do all of this stuff. And now all of a sudden we've got some 1,200 pound steers that we need to process and there's nobody to take our hand and be like, hey, this is how you yeah. do this. This is what building a walk-in freezer looks like. This is what getting a food storage facility license looks like through the FDA. Or this is what it looks like, you know, to get a food license through the county in order to be able to even have this stuff on site on the ranch. Yeah. There was nightmare we were, after nightmare right, after we nightmare like, of. There was a lot of Googling, a lot of phone calls with no answers. And sometimes people would call you, get an inspector would call you and say, hey, do you have this license? Well, no. How, how would I have ever known that I needed to have that license? 
It's not like there's this directory that I can look in and say, oh, here's what you got to do if you want to do that. So in the meantime, while we were trying to hunt down another non-burned down USDA processor, we had the freezer issue, which I still have nightmares over. So we initially had purchased a commercial uh, freezer that like came almost pre-assembled, right? Just Mm -hmm. like, how big was it? It was a six by six freezer. Yeah. It was, you know, it wasn't huge, but it was still a walk-in freezer. And we only, I think, processed that first round six or eight steers that first time through yeah. or something like that, which we were able to fit in that six-by-six six freezer. It wasn't that big of a deal. So that was a little victory that we had this little freezer set up in the shop. It quit a couple times. The meat didn't go bad. We caught it early enough. But we were also then trying to figure out who was the freezer repairman in our region who would actually drive to our house. And most of them were like, tough luck. We don't want to drive to your house. Yeah. So that was, there was many nights of well and then there's a lot of refrigeration companies out there who only work on something if you're you know what they classify in their mind as a legitimate business so they see you as oh you're just some rancher it's got a walk-in freezer i'm not worried about that you know in my mind i'm like dude i got ten thousand dollars worth of beef in this thing and it and it's starting to thaw like i gotta figure out how to get this thing fixed yeah we found good old bill that was when we found good old bill Bill he he still comes through for us today (laughs) still use bill um so we had our little freezer and that was a victory. And I think we sold out that first batch of beef. We didn't even ship it. We just sold it locally because COVID was in full swing and there was no beef at the grocery store. So it was kind of serendipitous because we had people locally calling us till we sold out of those six. Yeah, animals. we didn't ship anything. We didn't ship anything. So we were like, we did it. We did it. We're selling beef. And then, you know, we're like, let's do the next batch. And we realized that our little freezer would not work. So you had a brilliant idea to build a custom freezer that was much larger in one of our other outbuildings. I'm a pretty smart guy. That was, <laughs> that was a very hard period of our marriage. Actually, <laughs> what you've neglected to say there is that I chose to hire somebody yeah, well, that's, to build this much larger freezer. If I had just built it myself, that's true. we wouldn't have the problems if he that would have built did, it himself, but, it would not have been a problem. But he chose this. Here again, it was like, I didn't think I could build my own freezer. I bet I got to hire somebody for that. I don't know anything about a freezer. Well, knowing what I know now, I would never buy a commercial freezer. I would build it myself and it would be much simpler yeah. to go with. But, but long story short, I think I did a YouTube video on this. The company we hired was not good. It was a very bad They almost company. had to take them to court and it was a bad deal. They just, they left, they just us hanging and, left us hanging and took our money, wouldn't come back, wouldn't fix it. There's still parts of the freezer that aren't ideal. It's functional. It freezes the meat. It keeps things cold. But, um, yeah, there was. It was a lesson learned. It was a There's lots of lesson, lesson learns in a business. Hard lesson learned. Yeah. Um. So we had to get the freezer, which was. I mean, I make that sound fast. That was like how many months of agony on the freezer. <laughs> and then, okay, we had our meat finally. We had our freezer built, and it was no longer trying to catch on fire. And then we're like, "Cool, how are we going to ship this stuff?" Also, had no clue how to do that. So I built a website. I know how to build websites. That's in my wheelhouse. But then I realized I never really sold anything that wasn't an ebook. And I definitely had never sold anything that was perishable. Yeah. So a lot of Googling. There's kind of a finite amount of time where you're shipping beef. Yeah. That it from the time it leaves my door yeah. to gets to your door. Yeah. It was Yeah, it's pretty tough. Yeah. So it took us many And here months. again, there's no manual. It's not like you could be like, oh yeah. I mean Honestly, now there's starting to be a lot more people who are doing kind of what we did. You know, they probably, we probably all started at the same time, but there's a lot more information available online than there was four years ago, Yeah, or even three years ago, or maybe two years ago on how 
how this goes and what we need to do. Yeah. Um, so I don't even know how we figured it all out. I just started like trying things. I built a Shopify website and tried to hook it up to, uh, well, we re realized we needed to ship UPS because we were like, do we do FedEx? Do we do postal service? We, we realized that UPS is the best bet. Um, we also realized that normal UPS prices for a box of beef were like hundreds of dollars. So we realized that there was some to way ship it to ship it, right? Overnight. Yeah, because it has to be maximum second day air. Yeah. Otherwise, even with dry ice in the box, the beef will not be good by the time it gets to you. So it has to be second day air or sooner. Um, well, and we were placing some more constraints on ourselves because some of our competitors out there, when they ship beef, they will tell you that your beef will could be thawed out by the time it gets there. You know, it, it'll it'll still be cold. It'll still be cool. It's not started to rot or whatever. There's nothing wrong with it. But I didn't like that. I said, I want my beef to show up frozen solid because I don't want somebody taking my beef, you know, that's already been frozen once and now it thaws out in the transition process. And chances are they're probably not going to take my steak and cook it up that night. So they're going to have to shove it back in their freezer or feel obligated to now put it in their fridge and use it within the next day or so. I didn't want that. So I wanted it to which was a huge thing because we didn't have the answer to it. I'm like, I don't know what that means. How do I get something shipped to somebody's house in Florida from Wyoming yeah. and have it still frozen? Yeah. Uh, we didn't know anything about dry yeah. ice. We didn't know anything about packaging. We didn't know anything about box insulation. You know, there, there, we had to learn uh, through trial and error, all that stuff. Yeah. So we figured out that UPS gives you a discount if you set up a plan with them. FYI, if you're trying to ship heavy things, you can often work with UPS. That was a big light bulb moment. Um, and we found some eco-friendly packaging cause I didn't want to use styrofoam. That was really important. Yeah. I didn't want to use styrofoam. So we had to hunt down box. We, we bought the wrong size of box initially that was really pretty, but it didn't match with the available sizes of insulation. That was a learning experience. Um, we had to figure out where to get dry ice. And then in the middle of all that, there was some nationwide dry ice shortage. It was a COVID thing because they were shipping yeah. vaccines all yeah. over the place and then we're on dry ice. And so that sucked up the dry ice supply. Dry ice. So, and if you show up at the grocery store, you know, like Monday, because we ship on Mondays and Tuesdays, and you want 100 pounds of dry ice, they start to look at you kind of funny. And then you quickly buy them out, and they're like, well, you know, we don't normally get our dry, we get like dry ice every two weeks or something. We don't get it every day. So, and then before long, we had bought out everybody's dry ice everywhere. You couldn't get it. Yeah. So, that's a lot of whining, but <laughs> it's real, real reality. So, I guess fast forward to where we are today. And it's going well. Yeah, it's, going well. it's going really well. We're shipping nationwide. We have it down to a science. We have boxes and insulation that fit. We get dries every week. Um, we're having the UPS man come pick it up. And it's we're getting awesome reviews from people who are eating the beef. And it feels really good. Like, mm -hmm. it's it feels real good. But I guess maybe if there's a moral of the story and all of that, sometimes when you're starting a business or a homestead or anything new, you're going to have some major hurdles. And I think all too often, I hear this a lot, people hit a little road bump in their dream or their goal or their plan, and they automatically say, well, it, it probably wasn't meant to be. God doesn't want me to do it. Universe doesn't want me to do it. Whatever. You know, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you have this dream or this goal, and do not expect it to be smooth sailing all day long. Right? Yeah. And that, sure, there's a time when you get into something and you know in your gut, you're like, actually, this, this, this isn't for me. I need to to take a different path. There's a difference there. There's a difference in, in how you feel. You'll, you'll know the difference, but man, if we would have let the obstacles define the beef journey, we would not have a beef business. And a lot of people, it would gets under my skin as people say, man, this is hard. 
Yeah. Like, this is really hard. And I'm like, yeah, it is hard. So what? Like, who says this is supposed to be easy? Like, you know, you've all heard the choice of, well, choose your heart, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's great dandy and all. But at the end of the day, like, so what? Like, nobody ever said any of this stuff was supposed to be easy. Nobody ever said that in order to have a successful business or a successful marriage or a successful homestead or a successful whatever was supposed to be easy. That's not, that's not why we do things. And it's like this world is fascinated now with this concept of it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And I think it was supposed to be hard because when it, when it is hard, that's when we're forced to grow. That's when we're forced to learn how to do those things and push through those things. Because quite honest with you, we wouldn't be who we are today if we hadn't done all of that stuff. If we'd have just stayed on the normal path or, well, we're going to give up now because it's too tough. We wouldn't be who we are now. Yeah. So it's worth it. And that's, I think, our, our encouragement to you, whatever you're working on right now. Keep trucking through it. If you know you're supposed to do it, don't give up. Because um, there's a lot of rewards on the other side. Yeah, you got to stay tied to your dream. Yeah. You know, we had a dream in the beginning. Our dream has morphed and it's trans it's transformed a little bit from what it was then. But, you know, we had that dream in the beginning of what we wanted and why we were doing what we've done. And we had to continually go back to that, you know, when it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm pulling a calf. Yeah. And it's freezing, you know, and I'm tired and I don't want to be out there. You know, I got to be able to go, well, this, this is what I signed up for. I actually like this. And, you know, sometimes you just got to tell you, you got to quit telling yourself it's hard to be like, hey, this is what I want to do. You yeah. know, this is the fun part about it. This is, you can, you can just find out if we were meant to be cowboys or not. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so. Uh, I think you have a call you have to get on. So we probably should wrap up. I think you're, yeah. you're late. Uh, but just a little shout out for those of you who are looking for a beef source, you can order from us. And it is our actual cows. Like some of these um, big box beef companies that are advertising all over it, they're getting cattle from New Zealand and Brazil and Argentina or a whole bunch of other places. And the cow, the beef you get from us are, they're our cows. These are our cows. We raise these cows. We don't buy cows. Don't like cow. All the cows that we have processed are all cattle that we raised. And, you know, we're, we were intimately involved in every aspect of their life and giving them the best life that we possibly could. So, yeah, we're not, we're not like the other traditional competitors that we have who, you know, they're yeah. just, they didn't raise those cows. We yeah. did. Yep. So, so it's legit. It's genuine. It's genuinebeefco.com. I'll drop a link down in the show notes. We have different sales and promotions and bundles and packages with steaks if you want that or freezer fillers with roasts and hamburger, the whole nine yards. So go check it out. Um, we genuinely appreciate every order, every order that comes in. Yeah, we get a listing on our phone and we all, oh, there's an order. So yeah. it's it's a big deal. And you're supporting a small business. You're yeah. supporting a, a small family is what you're doing. Yeah, with so it. we really appreciate it. I know a lot of yeah. you have already ordered in. We greatly appreciate yeah. it. So I think we've done all the talking we can do today, probably. So, oh, one more little shout out. Christian has his podcast. I mentioned it on the last time. We mentioned it the last time he was on. Go check it out. It's called Stop Hiding with Christian Winger. It's on all the major uh, podcast players. Yeah. And leave a comment. Leave, leave a comment if you want me back on this show. Yeah, let us know if you want to. Am, am I welcome here? Like, is there room for me in this to, relationship? Or if you think of another exciting topic. Yeah, yeah, I have lots. You have lots. I'm sure you do. <laughs> all right, friends. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch up with you on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose Podcast.